Welcome to another edition of Unplugged. We approach round three with an away trip to our own ground at Marvel Stadium to take on the Bombers uh, this week. Uh, before we're, uh, we have got a pretty tough fixture ahead, which pretty much reflects on every game these days. It's a, it's a fairly even competition. We've still got players out. Obviously, we get Brad Crouch back from suspension, but we lose Jimmy Webster as a result of the concussion protocols and the 12 days out. He had his jaw knocked out of his face last week and didn't get a free kick, which was quite extraordinary in the uh, in the circumstances. But um, disappointing loss to, to Melbourne. They just always looked flat. Even when they got sort of three goals up in the second quarter, it didn't necessarily have that great feel about it, even if they were in a reasonable position at that stage. We look ahead to the Bombers at, at one and one, still with everything to play for. Uh, well done to our AFLW girls who dominated their final game of the season to thump West Coast by 56 points, their biggest ever win and their highest ever score and one of the highest scores in the competition. And after a pretty disappointing season, a uh, nice little kick along for them going into the, the next campaign. But uh, Nick, I welcome you first of all. Probably, uh, I know you were disappointed you didn't get to, to head along to that game on Saturday night, but on reflection, not a bad one to miss. Yeah, probably a, a blessing in disguise. I wouldn't have thought I, I would have been saying that a, a week ago. I was I was pretty disappointed that I couldn't be there, and uh, you know it was it was for a great cause. Obviously, I think that I think the club won, and I think I think you know we as a, as a football community still won um, on the night, despite the the performance of of the team. And you know that that second half was was incredibly disappointing. You know, the last five minutes of the first half was incredibly disappointing, and and was kind of a the turning point, but you know, we, we were, we were very outpointed in, in certain parts of the game. And I'm, I'm sure we all know kind of what, what they are, you know, the ruck position was, was a clear difference for, for Melbourne. Um, our disposal, you know, from, from the back half into the forward half w- was a real issue for us. And, and, you know, there's some things that, that I'm sure that rats and, and the boys will be working on at training this week to make sure that, that we come out firing against the bombers who, you know, are, are missing a few players themselves. H, what did you make of it? You you went along. We were both there, um, sitting in our different allocated sections on the course of the night. But um, yeah, the 15, 16 points up in the second quarter. There was one where I think Jack Higgins took advantage after that, running into an open goal and tried to centre it. And you think of little moments. If he kicks that, you go four goals up. You kick six in a row. Um, but from there, we just never look like it. Yeah, there's a few moments you sort of look and as that, that was one of the kicks on the night. I've just gone, who was that going to? Um, yeah, just so many times I've seen the ball just being kicked straight to the opposition and we're going, who are we kicking to? Has has last week had such an effect on us that, I don't know, we're still bogged in the mud from Sydney or what's going on? It's It just felt... Everyone felt slow. Everyone felt like they were dragging their he- dragging the heels, and the as as we're saying, it was slow. The disposal wasn't great, and it got off to the good start. But I think we were just done by half time looking at them. So it's yeah, disappointing, but showed a bit of fight. With I mean, we're still missing a number of players, as we're saying. Um, that that's I don't think Melbourne really missing anyone to be honest. It, that's almost their full strength team. So, Brink gets a few of our players back and that sort of thing, and if we come up against them again, I think we could be reasonably confident to play them. So, I mean, it's one one of the things that you know we've we've spoken all off season about our depth, and I still think that that's a, a huge strength of ours. But what we saw on the weekend was two of our 
key playmakers in that ruck position against the best ruck in the competition. Um, and, and we're missing two of our, our main guys in that position. And, and depth can only carry you so far. You know, when you're missing multiple players from the same position, you're going to struggle in that in that role, regardless of depth around the rest of the squad. Um, so, you know, the, I, I still think depth is, is a huge strength of ours this season. But, you know, it was, yeah. it was bad luck we came up against who we did when we did and, and with those two guys out. Yeah, you can only cover so much. That's that's yeah. one thing. So yeah, I mean, um, you can miss one ruckman. It's, it's it's difficult to miss two for for anybody. I mean, if Melbourne were missing Gorn and even the kid Jackson who played, you you wonder sort of where that leaves them in the scheme of things. And uh, I mean, Rowan Marshall's scheduled to I think play half a game in the VFL this week and then probably AFL week after. So that's encouraging. And Paddy Ryder, I think, nearing a return. There were some rumours around that he might have got back to Melbourne this week. I don't think that has happened, but I think he's certainly not far away, but hard to put a time frame on that. But yeah, very difficult. I mean, our strength last year was the, the tandem ruck combination, and we haven't had either of them at this point. We got, I mean, if you look at the clearance numbers on Saturday night, they didn't read that badly, but the the the, the way that Melbourne cleared the ball, the clean nature of their takeaways compared to ours, they would... Uh, if they want to send a clearance to go straight down Oliver's throat and they, they'd rip it out of the middle and, and it would be one touch mark inside 50. Whereas for us, it would be, it'd hit the deck. We'd have to handle it three times and then Gresham would snap it out of the pack under pressure. And it just, it felt like we we're up against it. And our ball use was really poor. It was sort of shades of 2018, 2019 going inside mm. 50 and Brad Hill, who's, pound for pound, probably the most skillful player in the team. Some of his ball use was was quite poor. And even at crucial moments, we, we kicked two in a row in the third quarter to get within nine points. And Zach Jones took a mark 45 metres out, gave it off to Brad Hill, who didn't make the distance. He then missed Membry on a, on a lead inside 50 a minute or so later. And that's not putting it all on him because it was the same for a lot of players. Ben Long took an intercept mark in the third quarter and then kicked it straight across goal to pick it 30 metres out. Uh, McKernan took a specky in the middle of the ground and then turned it straight over in the corridor. There was just so many of those incidents. And mm. um, in the end, it didn't feel like an 18-point loss. It felt like we'd been beaten by seven goals or something like that. But um, we still actually had a couple of little sniffs to win the game. But uh, it wouldn't have felt necessarily right had we have done so. But it, it's now all about trying to get back on deck. And, you know, we had some good contributors. Jack Steele was excellent. Uh, I thought Dougal Howard played one of his best games for the club. He was terrific. Seb Ross and, and Billings were pretty good again. And, and Gresham was was excellent. But outside of those five, it's probably hard to find too many to like. Yeah, not often. Stats stats don't always tell the full story. And and you look at the the match stats, and like you said, that they're not all, all that far apart. I think they had 30, 30 more possessions than we did across the – the game, you know, a few more, a few more kicks, a few more handballs. Um, inside fifties, fifty-three to fifty-four. You know, they had one more inside fifty, um, but it was the efficiency inside fifty. We we went at under forty percent, thirty-nine point six percent efficiency inside fifty. They went at seventy-two and a half, and that really ultimately was was the difference because, like you said, it felt like it was a lot more than it actually was in in the end. We we kept it tight around most of the ground. But it was that difference, you know, moving it forward inside 50 that, that really cost us. It probably felt like a lot more because it was one goal, 12, the difference. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't just three goals. Um, if it was just the three goals, you're going, oh, yeah, um, we weren't quite in it. But 13 mm. less scoring shots. That's where you sort of look going. When, yeah, as you say, we, they didn't have a lot more ball, 
but they scored 13 more times. Mm. So, and there was um, a burst I'd... in the match where they kicked five goals, seven to no score. Yeah, um, either side of half time. We're giving an opposition 12 consecutive scoring shots. That's a that's a worry. Yeah, and I think I made three points last week on how mm. we're meant to beat them. The first one was don't sit it on um, Stephen May's head. Yeah, <laughs> and what did we do all night? Mm. And I sort yeah. of you sort of sort of sit there and think, going, I know this. Why don't they? Mm. So it's. I mean, he's probably is, is, if not the best, he's one of the top three key defenders in in the game for that very reason. Is that he knows what positions to get to, mm. he reads it incredibly well, and and you know he's hard to get out of the way once he's once he's there. So, you know, we kicked five goals in the second half, and three of them were because Melbourne dropped marks in defence that had been kicked straight on top of their head. Mm. Uh, they dropped it and Jack Steele kicked two goals from that. And then I think Gresham got one in the last quarter. So we probably shouldn't have kicked those either for exactly the same mm. reason. But yeah, it was either him or Lever or uh, Gorn who dropped back into the hole and took mm. marks. It was just time and time again. And um, I hope, and you know, it, the heavy leg thing has been mentioned a little bit and the Giants were pretty ordinary too. They, they just might not be that good, but they, they struggled in their their game against Freo, but but heavy legs can impact skill level. So I'm hoping that um that, that might have sort of contributed to that, that the fatigue or, or whatever it may be. But I guess we'll find out uh, this week sort of how they how they felt out of that. But um, in terms of votes, um, unfortunately it was was pretty easy just because we didn't have a lot of great players. So I gave one vote to Jay Gresham. I thought he was uh, pretty good most of the way through the game. I think we, we've really underlined how much we've missed him. We gave two votes to Jack Steele. He sort of dragged us back into the game by himself in the third quarter and kicked a couple of big goals and, and really worked hard. I think he had 12 possessions in the third quarter uh, alone um, to, to try to turn it. And, and three votes to Dougal Howard, who was our best player, I thought, comfortably. Um, the only other apologies are Seb Ross and, uh, and Jack Billings, who were the only other players I thought were okay on the on the day. But, but H, how did you sort of see it? I went almost the same, but I actually did give Seb Ross that one vote because I, I, his first two weeks, he, he's played some really good football. Yeah. Um, he, he actually looks quicker this year too. He, 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 had, he turned he with the ball. He turned with the ball and ran away from zone. I went, that's not Seb. <laughs> it, it just did not look like him. He, he got that turn of speed. And I just, I don't know where it's come from. He was used to be just a plodder and didn't do much, but, yeah, he's actually got a bit of pace to him, and he, he looks reasonably dangerous now. Um, it's so I gave him the one, two to steal. It's hard to hard to not give the three to someone who's kicked three goals and played quite well in the middle of the field as well. But um, but yeah, despite the fan who sat up behind me and yelled out "You useless Dougal," I was I've given him the three. I, I, I couldn't believe it when, I, when they called that out. I was like, "What game are you watching?" So if if he hadn't played, they would have kicked 23 goals. Yeah. So mm. it's he he had a massive impact on the back line and yeah, actually kept us in the game. Yeah, I've I've gone pretty similar. I've got the same five and and apologies to uh to Seb and Jade Gresham for for not pulling a vote this week. But I've got one to Jack Billings. I've gone two to, to Jack Steele. I think you know his his impact just keeps growing. I, I think he keeps showing his worth both as, as a player, a midfielder, a leader. Um, I don't remember if he's kicked three goals in a game before. I'm, I'm not sure that he would have done that before. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the most 
impactful player on the ground outside of Max Gorn was was the useless Dougal Howard. Um, you know, he was he was pretty pretty awful um, to get perfect votes from uh, from the three of us. I thought he was he was incredible and uh, has, again really shown shown his worth as a leader of our football club over just you know, a year and a bit of being there. And uh, you know, he's come on in, in leaps and bounds, I think, and, and has been possibly the, the best pickup of uh, of the lot from the last few years. It's very rare that the guy playing fullback is your leading possession getter on the ground, but he was. He had 29 possessions, 23 of them kicks. And I think that the penetration in his kicking is good, the intercept marking. Probably one other. I thought Cal Wilkie might get an apology. He was okay. But probably to say that only those five, I thought he was one that was okay. And, and Sinclair in his 100th game wasn't terrible. And memory maybe a pass. Yeah, Dougal uh, Howard is, is nearly the most complete defender, the most mm. complete defensive player in the AFL. You know, his, his one-on-one contested work as a fullback, you know, on the last line of defense, his intercept marking, the way that he reads the play, the way that he directs traffic from, from fullback and halfback when he's got the ball and, and his drive, you know, once he's got the ball, his disposal is very good. Um, he really drives it long and hard and, and, and really, you know, directs the rest of the, the rest of the, the team and, and the midfield group. And you know, I'm not sure that there's anyone who does all of those things as well as he does at the moment. If we are going to encapsulate the passion around our club, our next guest would have forgotten more about St Kilda than any of us would have ever known. Historically, he's written some wonderful publications. We've given a few away uh, on this program. Um, he is a St Kilda historian and he's a name that you uh, you will all be very, very familiar with that is uh, Russell Holmesby. Back from Fletcher, it comes again. Morris kicks long to half forward, low. Causing major problems. Here's another one. This will be Winmar. The Saints are alight. Well, our next special guest on, on Plugged is uh, one of the most famous St Kilda supporters, a club historian and the man you turn to if you want to know anything about uh, the, the history of the club, but also... Uh, for, for views on where we're at currently in uh, 2021 as we look to build on the success of uh, last season. I speak of Russell Holmesby, author of uh, many a fine St Kilda book. We've given a couple away uh, as part of prizes on this very podcast over the last couple of years. But, Russell, nice to uh, to have you with us as we have a little bit more of a normal look at a, at a football season after all of the, uh, the trials and tribulations of 2020. Uh, thanks, Darren. Uh, yeah, so... Uh... It's good to be back at the footy again, isn't it? Just uh, you don't realize, well, you do realize how much you missed it, but when you get back there, you think, gee, that uh, was just a lost year last year, wasn't it? It certainly was a, a lost year. Russell, how long have you been supporting St Kilda and what's, what's your first memory of of, uh, of the Saints? Um, I, uh, I first went to a St Kilda game in 1960 um, and it was early 1960, so I was six years old. I had just turned six, as I figured out later. But, uh, I mean, I didn't sort of know what day it it was was special or anything, but it was the first actual Anzac Day uh, game. There was two two Anzac Day games that day, and that was the first time they'd played uh, BFL games on Anzac Day. I found that out later, obviously. But um, I remember, and I've got a very clear memory of the day, of one thing, I've got no memory at all of the football, but... We got there and um, we were walking up into uh, the Junction Oval and we saw this bloke standing there and my dad said, look, oh, you know, this is a very important man. Remember him because he's, he's really important. And he was wearing a light blue tracksuit. And 
still remember that. And uh, I got him to sign my footy record. And it was Herb Elliott who, uh, a couple of months later, of course, won gold in Rome. And uh, I've still got that footy record, but you wouldn't believe it. I haven't got the middle pages with Herb's autograph on it. And many years later, I got to know Herb. He was a, a CEO at uh, Puma and uh, I had a fair bit to do with Puma. I was working for leader newspapers and Puma was a local company. And uh, I got to meet, I got to know Herb, but uh, I met Herb at a, a first time at a um, at a St Kilda President's lunch. This is about I'll be mid eighties, and uh, I told him the story. I said, "Look, I've still got the footy record. I haven't got your signature, so I'll fix that up now." And he signed my footy record from 1985 or 86, whatever it was. So, uh, and I got to know him quite well in the end because we did a lot of promotional stuff with the local newspaper and with uh, with her. with a great man and. Another guy who was uh, there with Herbie was a guy named John Forbes, uh, who you may have read passed away a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Forbes, he was the national marketing manager for Puma and uh, a great man and who so many football people um, and all sports people knew him. Uh, and uh, one of those guys who, uh, someone said, uh, I think it's a Paul Trimboli quote that uh, he was the most famous, unfamous person of all because everyone knew him. And, um, yeah, Forge was a great man. And, uh, yeah, so uh, – and that was my first experience with the footy. I started – I probably went to a few games in 1960 uh, in that first year as, as a kid. And then uh, 61, I went for most – I went most of the games during the year uh, and saw St Kilda make the finals in 61. Um, first time in uh, 22 years it was. And uh, – I remember my dad saying to me, he said, oh, he said, you're lucky. He said, the first full year going to the games and that, and uh, you're seeing him in a final straight away. And because uh, my dad had been barracking for him since 1928 and he'd only seen him in 1929 and 1939 make the finals. So twice in, uh, what's that, uh, 33 years. <laughs> now, obviously you're very heavily involved with print media and a bit of other media on the side as well, but where... Did you start with all the media and was it always sport and football you were looking to go towards or you just sort of naturally moved into that direction? Oh, look, I always wanted to, to I always liked to write and I enjoyed writing and always had ideas of getting into the media as a journalist. Um, I, uh, I didn't pass my year 12. We had a very good social year. Um, but uh, uh, I did I did well in English, which you'd expect, you know. But that was all you had to do, be able to write and read books. But um, I uh, so I um, at many like many blokes of my era, and that went into the public service with uh, well, it wasn't Telecom then, it was Australia Post. Oh, sorry, PMG. And I was there for fourteen years. But uh, along the way, I um, I wrote a bit for the local paper. I wrote a column called In Black and White and Red. Uh, which was a bit of a steal from Keith Dunstan's in black and white. And um, it was totally, my boss used to say it was creative bias, he called it. Uh, and uh, St Kilda fans, local in Moorabbin, as you know, Darren, there was a lot, there's a lot of St Kilda fans and um, uh, the St Kilda fans loved it, but, oh God, some of the other Barragas for other clubs just absolutely hated it because it was so biased. And uh Anyway, one thing led to another. Uh, uh, tell, Telstra, as it became, they uh, decided to uh, cut back on things and offered redundancies to everyone who wanted redundancies. And it was a voluntary one. You know, you could take it. 
And I thought, well, why not? And I've always, and I've, I was sort of writing, I was writing for a, a magazine called Footy Week in 1987. And uh, so I spoke to them and they were going to put on another journal and he was going to, the editor was going to put me on. And the day I was due to leave Telstra, <laughs> he, he rang me back and he said, oh, I've got some bad news. He said, they're closing down the magazine. He said, no, I've been sacked too. So uh, that was it for me. So, but I had, because I'd been writing for the local paper, I sort of had a bit of a chance there and I rang up straight away there and uh, I was lucky enough that uh, the sports editor there was just about to leave and I got the job there. So went back to half the salary I was getting at Telstra, so I was on a pretty good whack. And um, anyway, we... Uh, we sort of took that path and uh, and I loved it. I mean, I was lucky and I, well, I was already writing, even when I was still in Telstra, I was writing uh, uh, a bit for the Sunday Press uh, and which, you know, Sunday Herald Sun eventually became, but uh, with Scotty Palmer. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I was doing a fair bit of writing anyway, but it was just as a secondary sort of thing, but it was something I always wanted to get into and I did. So it's not the normal career path to get into journalism. Um, and probably you couldn't do it these days because you'd have to have your year 12 and all that sort of thing. But uh, I was very lucky and uh, got the breaks to get in. And uh, I suppose, well, you don't stay there unless you do it properly. So uh, I must have been doing it properly for a fair while. So from 87 up to a couple of years ago, um, what's that, Mark? It's almost 30 years, around about 30 years. Uh, I was uh, working, I worked for Leader uh, and then I went to Inside Football. Bruce Eva was editor at that stage. Uh, I was deputy editor for one or two years. Uh, Beaver moved to radio and uh, and I took over as editor from then for about 15 years. Yeah. I was lucky enough to do work experience in year 10 with yourself and Bruce <laughs> at uh, Inside Football in 2001, which was a, a great experience. But, but going back, I guess, earlier before it all started doing the maths, St Kilda would have won the flag when you were about 12 or thereabouts. Yeah. Yep. What was that experience like as a kid? And did you learn to appreciate that more as you got older, as the oh, years piled on and piled on and piled on? And we haven't won one since that so you, yeah, you started oh, to get yeah. a grasp on how big that was? Oh, I grasped how big it was. I mean, it was like I was 12 years old, as you say. So, I mean, 12 years old, you know what's going on. And I'd been, I'd been going to the footy since, as I say, since 1960 and, and regularly since 61. So I'd seen every game I thought I think I saw about a hundred odd games in a row and I got the flu in 67 the middle of 67 and I was desperate to go uh it was a home game at Moorabbin uh it was going to break my run of about you know what five or six years by then uh it was a hundred odd games I know I figured it out at the time but um knowing the state games of course in those days so you could go to every game and um anyway uh, mum sort of virtually tied me down to <laughs> stop me from going and unfortunately, well, unfortunately for the Saints, but unfortunately for me, it was uh, mid-67. Saints, as you're probably aware of the Saints history, they struggled in uh, hot and cold in 67, and they were playing a crucial game to sort of keep in the race for the finals against Geelong at Moorabbin. And um, anyway, St Kilda just came out and absolutely blitzed them. And of course, uh, funnily enough, it wasn't, a, wasn't one of the TV games. They'd only replay a couple of TV games in those days. So I never saw the game, but I listened to it all on the radio. And there's one thing that you may have seen, Darren, a picture I used in one of the books of uh, Daryl Baldock got belted and uh, they've got the close-up of him having his eyes stitched up in the, I think you would have seen that picture, uh, having his eyes stitched up in the in the box, uh, in the interchange bench, so um, or reserve bench as it was then. So, um, yeah, so, uh, you know, look, I mean, I didn't take it for granted in 66. I mean, it, um, you still thought that there'd be chances of other premierships, Um 
and I didn't, I mean, I went to the 65 grand final as a kid, I was 11, um, 66, obviously I went to, um, I didn't go, I went, I went to the grand final in 63, we had series tickets, but I didn't, the years that we didn't get, didn't make the grand final, I thought, oh, well, now we'll be there again next year or whatever, you know, but I couldn't, after a while, I couldn't be so picky and choosy because I went in 71, um, and which we could quite easily have won, uh, but Bob Kitty turned it on, of course, that day. And uh, then, of course, it was a long drought, and I got to understand what my father had been through in those big gaps between finals years when it was, what, 18 years between 73 and 91 when uh, we didn't make the finals, and we really hit rock bottom in the mid-80s you know, and that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, but, I mean, look, I've, you know, Collingwood I've, people say about, losing grand finals. I mean, I've seen St Kilda um, win one, draw one, and lose five in my lifetime. So, yeah. But uh, I think Eddie Maguire once said that uh, the best feeling in footy is waking up on grand final day and knowing that uh, that your side is in it and got a chance, you know. And uh, it is. It's a great – It's a great. And you know, but, of course, the downside is afterwards and uh, when you lose them, that's, uh, that's the downside of it. Do you have any any memories, obviously as, as a twelve year old, of that sixty six season and and secondly of Grand Final Day and and kind of what that meant on the day? Well, sixty six. I mean, as, as you guys have noticed, until the started off really well, uh, won eight first eight games, and um, I remember on the morning of the ninth game, or they used to have a uh, sort of preview show on Channel Seven, and uh, Bob Davis was one of the you know. Uh, commentators on that, and he said, he said at that, he said, oh, he said, they, they could go through the whole season undefeated, you know, like this, uh, Bobby. So, um, uh, yeah, and I remember him saying that, and of course we got done <laughs> that day. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was an interesting year. I mean, uh, um, there's a lot of memories out of it. I mean, I did, as you know, probably I did a, a book a couple of years ago on the 66 finals and that, and um yeah, and talking to all the players, what a lot of memories back too. But I suppose there's a few things that stand out. Um, obviously, winning those first eight games, that was something. Um, they had a bit of a slump in the mid-season, uh, lost to Richmond and Collingwood, and uh, and it was very tight for places in the finals. I mean, um, right down to the last game, um, St Kilda could have missed out in the finals. And it was only... And one of the clearest memories I have of that is we used to have seats in the grandstand that day, and then I sort of... I don't know whether I graduated or went downhill to be in the animal enclosure later on when I grew a bit older, but um, we were sitting in the grandstand. We had great seats in the old grandstand right on the wing. And um, yeah, and the ball, uh, Daryl Baldock, you know the story, Daryl Baldock was injured the week before uh, or two weeks before, um, had a crook knee and uh, shouldn't have really played that day, but they just in case, you know, the word went round, oh, Baldock's in the side, he's, on the, he's going to be on the bench, you know. And they certainly, that day, they certainly needed, it turned out, I mean, it was one of those last round games where Hawthorne had nothing to play for. They were about eighth or ninth. They weren't going to make the finals, but they just threw everything at St Kilda. And they, and, you know, it was really looking dangerous. And um, there was, the grandstand was sort of, there was a chant. I remember, we want Baldock, you know, like this. And Baldock came out and just started warming up just next near the bench and that. And when he came on, the roar was unbelievable. And they reckon about you feel the grandstand shaking. I reckon I, I felt it that day. It really did. It virtually shook. And because he was, he was a champion, as we all know, uh, he came onto the field. And I've, David Parkins 
written about it and spoken about it because he was playing for Hawthorne. He still remembered it. And he, he said that it just changed the whole dimension of the game. Bulldog came on, he, he, he kicked two or three goals, he gave a couple away and just turned it around, turned the game around. And, of course, it's history now that if we had lost that game, we would have missed out in the finals. Richmond, Richmond only lost about five games for the year in Richmond out of 18. And they won 13 and lost five and still missed out on the final four. So, um, of course, they came back and won it the next year. But, um, but you know, we were that close to missing out in the finals. But that thing with Baldock, and that was a real standout memory of that year that uh, it was just a sensational day and a, a sensational turnaround. And I've never seen a bloke... He actually... It, it sort of affected the opposition it really did it just the presence that he had on it and uh came on and uh i've talked to uh, other boys uh, delicate des dixon who you've probably heard of was a famous hawthorne man who was one of the roughest wildest players under the under the sun a terrific bloke to talk to one of those white line fever blokes you talk to was a really good bloke he played that day it was actually his last game for hawthorne but he talked about it too that oh Baldock, that bloody day Baldock came on and you know um and uh yeah so that was that was sort of that and in, into the finals um we had all three teams we had reserves and under 19s both in the finals uh they played they were they must have finished third or fourth both of them and they played the first semi st kilda didn't play the first semi they were in the second semi so uh i remember as a kid going along there in the morning about nine o'clock and my Parents had tickets and that they were going to come later. But I went at nine o'clock to start to watch the, the, the under-19s in the seconds. And uh, I, was, I remember I was about the only person sitting in that bay when I got there. It was cold at first in the morning, and, you know, and I'm sitting there watching the whole, watching the footy the whole day. So uh, they had a couple of blokes from the, uh, the under-19s and the reserves that sort of came through out of that. Uh, uh, John Manzi was one, played 100 odd games. Johnny O'Donnell was a terrific player, had a pretty short career, but with injuries. But uh, yeah, so um, so that was the first week of the finals. Second week played Collingwood, uh, got a bad start to the game. Collingwood jumped us, but St Kilda came right back in that semi. And uh, uh, there's a crucial sort of free late in the game. But the bloke who killed us that day was Tudham in the second semi, kicked seven goals from a half forward flank out of about 11, you know. Was a pretty amazing effort in any game, but in those days it was lower scoring and you didn't have individuals kicking big totals. Um, so anyway, yeah, so we lost, went in the preliminary final and preliminary finals against Essendon. Essendon had the wood on us in those days, but Essendon was always sort of vulnerable, I reckon, in wet conditions and uh, it rained all day Friday and I can remember thinking, and everyone thought, yeah, this will be good for St Kilda and it was, and they came out, kicked very, very straight. Won it pretty easy in the end. And um, they'd been a bit of a bogey team, beating us the year before in the grand final. And um, they'd been a bogey team, but St Kilda got over them. And uh, then, of course, the grand final, we know what happened. So you talk about speaking with a few players and that sort of thing. How, how have you found the change over the time you've been working? Have, do you find the players back in the day were a bit easier to talk to? They gave you a bit more? Or how are they... The ones you talk to these days, how, how's the comparison? Oh, look, well, they're very uh, these days. Of course, they get media training, and they uh, and they and uh, I mean, and work for inside football. You know, I'd interview blokes after the game, and that you know, and they'd start off, and you could tell they'd been trained to the nth degree, and they'd, they'd sort of they'd say, "Oh, yeah, well, it was a great team effort. It was this at that." And, 
you think, oh God, you know, you've, you've, you've had 38 kicks and you've kicked five goals and you, you know, and you won't talk about yourself. So it's sort of, yeah, I mean, they are trained to the nth degree, but I, I've found a way around that in a way. I, I, when they started like that and you think, I'm not going to get anything personal out of it after a game of that, but I found if you talk about one of their teammates and say, oh, well, what about so-and-so? It's a good game by you. Oh, yeah, well, you know, he's been working hard on his kicking and that, and it sort of paid off. And they then they'd sort of give you something. But So it's changed a fair bit. Um, media managers these days, I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not involved anymore. I'm retired now, but, uh, you know, I'm still doing things, but I'm not, I'm not full-time into it. And, um, you know, like you have media managers running around with notepads after the game and, you know, and you want to talk to the bloke who kicked seven goals and they say, oh, no, he did something the other day, so we won't be talking tonight, you know. And you see some of the media managers, I mean, I won't name any, but, yeah, you, <laughs> you see some of them and you wonder whether they're just put there to be gatekeepers and block you, you know, as media, rather than actually open up, I mean, and, and let them talk, you know, uh, which is ridiculous. But, uh that's the way it's gone these days, uh, and it won't change back in a hurry. Um, but, um, you know, there's good moody managers and ordinary ones, and a couple of real ordinary ones I could think of. Uh, but I won't uh, I won't say, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it has changed in that sense. They are trained to the nth degree. We could go through an hour or so of the other the clubs historically that have been good to deal with and bad to deal with, and the unnecessary difficulties that, uh, that they do put up. Um, well, you've, a seen, lot of publications. You've, seen it, you've seen it yourself. I mean, you know, yeah. you know what it's like. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, sometimes it's just incredibly frustrating at times because you think, like, is it going to – and the other thing about, about you know, um, it's, it's eased a little bit, but uh, the whole idea of not talking after your team's been beaten, I mean, you see basketballers – in the States and that, and they talk all right after they've been beaten. I mean, you, you, you can, you, your tongue still works. I mean, you can't just not communicate because you've been beaten, you know. Um, yeah, I find that that uh, pretty amateurish, really. Yeah. yeah, that's the time you need to hear from them. I mean, they, they win a game, you know what they're going to say. It's, it's after they lose a game that you, you probably want to get that, that input. You've had a lot of great publications over the journey and um, looking at the football books I read from the early 90s and I remember thinking it's one of the great titles because a lot of people ask the question why do you barrack for St Kilda and that book sums it up as to the, the reasons and the sucker for punishment but also that that loyalty and obviously the title the point of it all indicates that what we saw in 66 is effectively the the point of it all can, can you sort of encapsulate if someone said to you why do we barrack for St Kilda why do we go through all of this sort of stuff but how would you um, how would you summarise? I guess, well, summarize I guess, that I guess there have been times when all of us have wondered that ourselves and think, oh my god, <laughs> why am I putting myself through this? Um, incidentally, the point of it all, I can't claim credit for the title. That was uh, by Sandy Breen. Uh, Sandy Breen, she's she's a great friend of uh, Molly Meldrum. You'd probably know her, Darren, uh, around the, the the club and that and. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she actually designed the cover of the Port of It All and came up with the name. So uh, it was a great name, and it's one that sticks in everyone's mind, I think, as, uh, as a title for the book. Um, yeah, it's, um, but yeah, the point of it, what is the point of it all? Um, I don't know. I think we just stick. We stick to it no matter what. I mean, I'm always amused, and I wrote a book earlier this year on Fitzroy's last 20 years, and um, I said in the in the introduction to it that 
I remember Rowan Connolly, who's a friend of mine, he's a good bloke, Rowan, but he's an Eston Barracker, so what can you say? But he um, he said to me once a few years back in the Eston, going to end the simple sort of uh, low point now, but they'd lost about five or six games in a row early in the year, and, you know, only had one win on the board or something, you know. And Rowan, we went in the rooms after a game, and, and Rowan he comes up to me and he says, oh, gee, I know. I know what you've gone through now. I said, no, you don't, Rowan. But, you know, we've won one premiership in my time. You know, you've won about four. Like, uh, you've got no idea just losing a few games in a row, you know. Uh, you haven't seen the, you haven't seen the club almost go to the wall, you know. And, like, Rowan had lost, they'd lost five or six in a row and he thought the world had caved in. Like, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I, and I, I don't think, I, and I, I really don't think that, People with involved with other clubs. Look, some people have seen it, obviously, with uh, with Footscray, uh, Fitz, Fitzroy. It happened, um, you know. But I've, I've, I mean, I always remember I went into I was writing the Saint magazine for years, and uh, we were writing one. Then uh, it was the mid eighties, early eighties. David Perry was the president, and so we put a president's message on the front of it each time. And I went in and met him down at the social club. We're going to talk about what what he wanted to do in that, and I was going to ghost it for him. And I think it was, it might have been around about a tin rattle time anyway, that they, uh, he said, oh, he said, I said, how's it going, David? You had all the papers all there spread out. He said, oh, well, he said, we don't make X amount of money in the next uh, three weeks. We could fold this year. And he wasn't saying that to sort of put the wind up me or wasn't saying it to, it wasn't artificial. It was true. And that was how bad things were. And that, and I don't, and I don't think until you confront that, as a barracker for a club, you know, you really, you really don't like. There's a the possibility this club is not going to be here next next year, not going to be here next month. And it was sort of about June or July anyway. They had the tin rattle and whatever. But you know, I, I just really don't. I, I think it's, people very glibly say about various times about oh they should cut back the Victorian teams or they should send someone to Tasmania. I mean, they even mentioned us the other day. Um, you know, people are very glib about that, but they really don't know unless it's happened to their club and been really close to it, as, you know, a few clubs have, North, I suppose, too. Uh, even Richmond. I mean, Richmond, when Alan Bond was president, I mean, they almost folded. So um, I don't think... I think people underestimate the effect that it, that it would have. And uh, and with the Fitzroy thing, and I'm not, I know you don't want to stray on the Fitzroy too much, but with the Fitzroy thing, I mean... In doing that book and speaking to people, I mean, there's Fitzroy barrackers who haven't been to a game of football since, or or they've given up completely on the AFL and they just barrack for the local. Now they've got a, there's a version of Fitzroy these days, but uh, or they barrack for another local team, but they just have turned their back on league football. So, you know, I don't I think people underestimate that, and, and certainly the Fitzroy thing should have taught people that it damages the whole fabric of the game, not just the Fitzroy supporters. But it damages everyone's, you know, interest, and they get people get disillusioned with the game. Is is that your low point of supporting Secure to that kind of eighties period, the Save Our Saints, the tin rattling, the throwing the coins onto the blanket over the, you know, the boundary mm-hmm. line? Would that be your low point in in supporting Secure, or is there another is there another moment that sticks out as kind of oh, the, toughest, the be, toughest part? That would be the toughest part. That would be the worst that got. Um, I remember actually, I. Um, when they were having the tin rattle and I was editor of the Saint magazine and we're doing all these things. And I was down there, we were, um, 
we were trying to you know get everyone signed up as members and that that's pretty hard like the best form of marketing of memberships is when you're winning and if you're losing week after week you know you, you can have the smartest marketing plan in the world but won't get anyone to sign up and i remember i took oh, i took a few days i might have been a while i took i definitely took a few days off work and went down to help out because they were trying to chase up everyone with like saint magazine used to get mailed out at that stage and the ones where they've changed addresses, we'd get them back. So I'd be trying to, on the phone and trying to track people down and, you know, uh, and I was part of that sort of with people just, you know, putting their shoulder to the wheel to help out and try and get the support up and get the money in, you know. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, that would be the lowest point in my time of barracking for the club, yeah. Now, you're involved with the, or being involved with the Heritage Museum at the club and it, a lot of people sort of think, oh, there's not, there wouldn't be much down there sort of thinking, well, there's not much for us to actually put in cabinets or things like that. But what, what are some of the things that you've in the time got your hands on and found and gone, well, what's, how does this exist or where has this come from or anything with a real interesting story that you've found somewhere? Well, I suppose the most interesting, I mean, Georgie Day runs, I'm the historian um, and I've sort of got the knowledge of all of that. And I've obviously got a big collection of stuff here at home too, but uh, Georgie Day runs the museum, maintains it and does a great job. Um, but I suppose uh, well, a couple of years ago, and I, I it hasn't been sort of widely publicised this, but um, you may have heard the story of the 1933, the medal that they got for the ball of players. So finished with 15 men got belted around by North Melbourne, who were a really dirty team apparently in those days. Um, and they gave medals to each of the players. And uh, the shield, which we, we were under the opinion, when, in the point of it all, we wrote that, uh, you know, that shield that we've got now, the crest, was uh, put on the Guernsey after that game. But we found out that it actually, it was round five, it had already been introduced, it was already on, we found a, a picture of the team on the day and they had the, the crest on um, anyway, a couple of years ago, so it was only the players, all the players in the, that game, and 19, one, one on the bench, 18 plus one, plus the coach got medals. And um, uh, the club used to have a one of the medals uh, from one of the players, but that disappeared somewhere. Um, and that was before Georgie took over the museum, so there wasn't as tight a, you know, control on things. And uh, anyway, a couple of years ago, a... Um, the coach's medal, Colin Dean, his medal came up at an auction. And um, this was oh, one of those many years where St Kilda announced a loss for the year and all that sort of thing. And, you know, um, you know it was pretty dramatic and that. But anyway, it came up for auction. And I'm, I sort of help out the past players on the past players committee. Um, and even though I was the most football talentless person there. But uh, um, anyway, the, we talked about it and, it had a oh, an estimate of about four thousand bucks on it, and the past players had a had a bit of dough in the bank, not heaps, you know. But you know, anyway, we talked about it and said, you know, look, this is coming up, you know, um, what do we do? You know, it's a, and the, the club really couldn't. It wouldn't be a good look after just announcing a huge loss that they spend this on a medal. Anyway, so uh, I went along to the auction and I rang up a couple of the other guys in the past players. I said, look, what are we going to do? You know, you can't, we can't let this disappear or not be, you know, not be connected with the club. So anyway, Andrew Cross and uh, Simon Moon, Russell Morris, spoke to them and they said, look, go to 
you know, go to five grand, we'll cover it. I got another strong saint supporter. I won't say his name because he didn't want his wife to know about it. He, he said, look, if you get close, if it's if it's close and you look like you can get it, he said, you know, I'll throw in another 500 and whatever. Anyway, so it gets up and it goes up and up and up and it's 3,000, 3,005, you know, 4,000, 4, 5. You know, it's going up and up. And thinking, oh, God, we're getting close to the mark here. And anyway, it got up to just under five grand. I thought that there's another bloke bidding. I found phone the phone and I thought maybe if I go to five grand, that might be his limit, you know, and we can sort of nut him out with it. And we did. We got it. So we, the past players, it's the past players' ownership of it, they have permanently loaned it to the club. And you would have seen if you've been down the museum, you'd see it's on display there and, and whatever. So that was a great get. Um, the other part of that story is that, um, and this is one that hasn't sort of really been publicised, but uh, Alan Richardson was coach at the time. And, you know, we said about getting it and we put things on the website and all that sort of thing. And he said, oh, he said, I want to talk to you about that anyway. And I said, oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, it was, you know, late in the year. Anyway, we, um, he said, look, when we, we sat down at a meeting, he said, look, he said, I want to do something for the current players based on that medal and um, on the values of the, the crest, as they call it. Um, they want to do something on based on those values of, you know, the, uh, the agreed sort of mission statement, I suppose, if you have for the year, you know, that the players come up with. And he said, look, he said, what I want to do is award one each week at a reproduction, but it'll be, it'll the front of it will be the same as the original medal, but the back will be uh, for each round, you know, representing, uh, the, the, you know, who represented the values most of the team and so the players loved it um we uh, and we got it, got them produced uh, by a mob down at, uh, at uh, frankston called cashes who do they do the premiership cup and all that sort of thing anyway so we got it done and uh so they and i presented the first one it was great actually i mean uh they had the tuesday review meeting after the first game uh two years ago and uh and Rich, I said, oh, can you come down and tell them the story about it? And, you know, and you can present the first medal. I thought, oh, geez, that's great. You know, that's a really terrific. And so I, I said, what do you want me to do then when you start the meeting about an analysing the game? He said, oh, no, well, you're part of the club. You can stay. So I sat there as part of the players' meeting, which was for any fan, forget about being a journal or whatever, but it was a great buzz to do that. Um, and they awarded, they've awarded those medals ever since. Rats came on as coach. He liked the idea too. And um, uh, they awarded those medals again last year. Um, and it was a bit awkward because they'd have to uh, get them engraved down here and they'd post them up because they weren't in Melbourne, of course. Um, and they're going to have a variation on that this year, but still based on the crest. And the, it's going to be a certificate they'll get each game of that. So... Rats has got a really good understanding of history and the value of history, and but that's something. Well, it hasn't been publicised, but I'm not going to say it now. But um, yeah, it's uh, it was you know, and it was a, that was a great get to get that um, because there are only 19 of them out there, you know, and uh, and to see it used by you know with the current players to make them feel that they're. There's more, there's more to football club than just the three or four years or whatever the average is, two point four years or whatever. But they're there. There's, they're part of something bigger, and uh, that's what both Richo, who started, and Rats, who carried it on, and they both, um, they both personally paid for the medals to be produced, which is pretty amazing. 
it's a great footy story. I mean, for, for a lot of people probably wouldn't know it. Certainly a lot of no. neutrals wouldn't know the origin of, of all of that sort of stuff, which is which is wonderful. I guess last one from me, fast forwarding to, to modern times, obviously we came off a very promising 2020. We had a good win undermanned in round one in the wet uh, against GWS. Had a, a disappointing game last week against a, a Melbourne side that looked all right, but we certainly appeared to be a bit flat. Tough fixture, uh, winnable game, obviously, to come this week. Uh, what are your thoughts on where the group's at and, and your expectations on 2021? Oh, look, I, I, I suppose being there's always a bit of pessimism with still Americas and you never take anything for granted. But what worried me, and sometimes you have years where you just have a cycle of injuries, and we had so many injuries, you know, pre-season and whatever, Geary, Patton, um, you know, Marshall, uh, you know, Jones, um, all of these blokes with injuries. And, uh, and I just worried that, I worry that buddy, that might be that cycle of a year that you just never get them all back on deck. You think, oh, we'll have Marshall back in two or three weeks, but but he doesn't come back or then he comes back and then someone else goes down and so on. So um, that sort of worries me. I, look, I think, um, I think, you know, with all everyone on deck and, and playing well, we could make the the top four and after that you just need things falling your own way but uh maybe we're not up to the richmond geelong sort of standard right at the moment but um you'd certainly hope that we'd advance on what we were last year so um but i think you know obviously losing Ryder and marshall when you lose players from the same part of the field that's when it really hits i mean i think it was probably richo's last year i think most of the back line most of the back line were out for the majority of the season you know, um, and if you if you have injuries and that hit you in the one area, that's very hard to cover. You can bring some in to cover one bloke here and there and whatever, but not in the same part of the field. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's not a total, you know, comprehensive answer, but that's where I think we're at at the moment. We need to get those blokes back on deck. And certainly, I mean, Ryder with his tap work, you know, makes a hell of a difference in the centre. And We've seen with the style of play so far this season, if you can get the ball out of the centre quickly, um, you're halfway there. But uh, and of course, the other night against Melbourne, we didn't, and um, you know, and Gorn sort of had his, you know, had the upper hand, and that. So um, yeah, but uh, I think that's that's crucial to us getting getting Ryder and Marshall back. Russell, there's a lot of conjecture and conversation amongst Saints fans and, and has been for decades about who is the greatest Saint of all time. And, you, you know, you get 10 Saints fans in a room, you could potentially get 10 different answers. Is it Baldock, Stewart, Plugger, Harvey, Rewalt, etc.? Who, who's your greatest Saint as the official historian of the club? Who, who's your greatest Saint? And I guess given, given the current circumstances in the last 18 months and, and last week, Spud's game, where does Danny Frawley sit amongst the, the, the pantheon of, of Saints all-time legends? Oh, look, I mean, I, and Spud, a great, you know, great leader, a great leader and led the club, you know, very well and had that sort of cohesive effect on people that, uh, you know, he could get them together and, you know, and he was, and he was, you know, always sort of up and getting them going and, you know, building them up and getting them up. Um, so, you know, a, a great, a great sort of St Kilda person and a great leader. I suppose a leader is the strongest thing. He was a leader and uh, um, he didn't have co-captains or anything in those days, you know, it was just straight out, you were the captain. Um, I suppose the blokes that you said there, and I'd throw Lenny Hayes into that sort of mix as, uh, uh, you know, Hayes, Rewald, uh, Harvey, 
uh, Lockett, Baldock, um, Stewart. You know, that's probably the six. I always think, and I, when we did uh, Heroes with Halos, when I did that book, we uh, the night we launched that, people love ratings and whatever. And you know, so I wasn't going to rate one to a hundred. I rated one to twenty, and um, I put Stewart as the best player. And uh, I think it was a Bulldog and Lockett with a next. I can remember what was that order: Lockett and Bulldog, or Bulldog and Lockett. Um, I always put Stewart as the best. Um, Stewart didn't have a flaw in his game. Um, he uh, and he wasn't a big bloke, but not just because he wasn't a big bloke. He, he was a, a terrific mark, a great kick, as you would have seen on on replays and that sort of thing. Uh, courageous to the point of just absolutely total courageous. Um, and I always put so I always put Stewie as as the best St Gilda player. The night that we launched the book, Stewie came up to me and he said, Russell, he said. Uh, if you ever, I don't know if Darren, have you ever spoken to Stewie, have you ever met him? Or, um, he, 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 he looks very seriously at you and he said, he said, Russell, he said, you've given me a great honour here, but you're wrong. And I, okay, Stewie, that's typical Stewie. And he said, Daryl Baldock's the best St Gilda player. And Baldock, Stewart absolutely idolised Baldock in Tasmania. Stewart was about three or four years, or four years probably younger. And he came up watching Baldock and, you know, and he, was, he idolised him. And he said... And he said, I'll put it this way. He said, he said, Daryl Baldock uh, was about the same height as me. He said, Daryl Baldock could play in the centre just as well as I could, but I could never play at centre-half forward like he did. That was Stewie's rationale. And a fair enough comment, um, you know. Um, Baldock, I mean, Baldock played as a five-foot-ten bloke in a very hard position at centre-half forward. Um, and you, you can't forget that in assessing him. Um, but there were games where he was contained, you know. But Stewie, when he was fit, Stewie would still get his 20-odd possessions. And, you know, um, you know he, he was just remarkably consistent at a really high level. I mean, the first Brownlow, I think he only he got injured in one game. It was 18-game seasons. There was one game they played in the States I didn't have votes for. So there's 17 possible games. He only played 13 of them. He got injured in one and left the field in about the first quarter. Um, and he still won enough Brownlow votes to win the, the medal. Uh, amazing. You know? And uh, just a great player, a flawless player. Baldock, great player, magic, magical player. But he, he did get contained in games. By, you know, Ted Potter was one. Uh, Jeff Pryor for Essendon was another one. Uh, they sort of controlled, you know, they could, could, not every time, but they could rein him in, you know. Um, when we, a couple of years ago, you might remember that they asked me to sort of rate, re-rate the whole, the top 20. And we, I said, well, look, it's been, you know, it's been 1995 when we did the book. Uh, I said, look, can we make it 30 so we can, we can extend it out and, you know, bring some blokes in and drop some there. Anyway, we did that, and um, when we put that up, one bloke, one bloke, it was after 2010, and the one bloke uh, wrote, uh, wrote in, and he said, well, he said, if, if a ball had bounced the right way twice in the 09 and, and 10 grand finals, Rewalt would have been captain of two premiership sides. He won a record amount of six best and fairest. So you'd virtually have to put him number one, and it's a pretty hard one to argue, isn't it? Although Rui, as we know, the kicking wasn't always perfect for goal, um, but a great player, a unique type of player, and uh, a terrific player. So, 
Yeah, so well, look, I'd still stick with Stewie as the best. Um, I reckon that the top three, Stuart, Lockett, Baldock, you know, you could have just, you're not doing badly if you have either of them at number one, are you? you know? So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's about it, I reckon. Yeah. And last one for me, you know, for all the Saints that have gone through and you've written something about, is there anything you've sort of gone, or oh, ri- I wish I didn't write that, I've written them off too early, or something going, I wish I'd said this earlier, or anything <laughs> that you've, any, any calls that you went, okay, I wish I went the other way with on someone? Um, oh, yeah, look, I can't think anything come to mind. I mean, even, look, even one now that I wasn't convinced at first because he was a top 10 pick and I didn't think early in the piece he was doing enough, but I've changed my mind now, is Nick Caulfield. I'd, Nick Caulfield's early games in that first season were nothing to write home about. And, I mean, you know that kids and that, but you think you want to see a bit more. Um, but I've changed my mind on him. Um, although I see that Jared Healy said the other week, apparently, that... Uh, you know, he said he needs to do more. Well, he ran fifth in the best and fairest in the side that came that made the finals. It's not bad for a twenty-year-old, but um, anyway, I don't know how many St Kilda games Jared didn't see last year, but uh, it was a pretty unusual thing to say, wasn't it? Really, you know. But um, yeah, so um, oh, Nick Coffin, I suppose. I, I suppose. Well, for me, the, well, the biggest one would be. As a kid, as a nine-year-old, well, I, I, yeah, everyone's got a Guernsey number that they wear. And I wore number 10 as a kid, Neil Roberts, captain. He was just, you know, star and, you know, had, had the, the looks, the whole atmosphere. He had the whole thing going, Neil Roberts, you know. And he's captain of the side. He's my favourite player. And anyway, the next year in 63, the start of the season, they had a, they used to have the practice, the last practice game would be an in, intra-club one. Didn't play other clubs in practice games in those days, but they um, they had the probables versus the possibles. And in the St Kilda Guernsey side, there was a number 10 uh, running around there and I, in that practice match. And we were watching the practice match and I'm thinking as a nine-year-old with a deep insight to the game, I, I thought, oh, I don't know about this bloke. I, don't know, I might get another number on me back, you know. But the next week he came out and uh, he was Carl Dittrich and he uh, thrashed Barassi, who was... Barassi was the number one player, not the most talented, but the leader and he'd been in premiership after premiership with Melbourne. And Didrich has run rings around him and he's, you know, he's got the blonde hair and he's taking the big marks and he's doing everything. So I was wrong with that one because and I certainly kept number 10 as my favourite Guernsey because uh, from that moment, yeah, look, he was he was great. And the thing with Carl, and I suppose it's a certain extent the same with Lockett, that he didn't accept that St Kilda was a struggling team at any stage or he didn't, he just stood up no matter what and, you know, um, all that stuff that people say about St Kilda and, you know, they're their second favourite team, you know, when we made the finals, the grand finals and that, you know, I don't think that, I don't agree with that. That may be my sceptical nature, but I think people at clubs like Essendon, Collingwood, Carlton think that St Kilda has their place in the pecking order and it's down the bottom. I don't, I don't think uh, they, they, they feel, oh, something's wrong here. It's in Gilders up high, you know. And I know that sounds like a sort of negative attitude, but I believe that. I reckon that, you know, we, you know St Gilders, oh, stay down, stay in your place, you know. Lockett and Dietrich never accepted, they never accepted that sort of philosophy. They just stood up and, buddy, they gave it back, you know, and probably crossed the line with a few things at times. But... Um, both of them. I remember actually when we launched the point of it all, we had some highlights of Dittrich up there on the on the screen, 
and Plugger was looking at it and, and said, geez, you got away with a bit of nose days, didn't you? Like, yeah, Plugger obviously thinking you get suspended straight away. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, I, yeah, that that whole attitude, they, they just never sort of knuckled under. You know? and, that's, and that's what we like as fans, isn't it? You know? When it comes down to it, you know, that's what we like. Yeah, and I was always one that was always offended by the. I get the sentiment behind it, but the everyone's second team mantra. I'm like, I'd much rather you hate us because we're a threat and, and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. I don't like the the picky that's attached to, to that sort of uh, comment that we're oh, you're everyone's you're everyone's second team. But um, yeah, hopefully it reaches a point where no one ever says that because we're uh, we're winning too many flags. But, but Russell, thanks for, uh, for for stopping by and having a chat to us. We could have spoken to you about St Kilda history for, for three weeks, I'd say, but um. Yeah, hopefully we can uh, we can right the ship this week and, and continue to march on because well, uh, it'd be nice to have a cluster of finals appearances. Well, we, we have look, we, we we obviously everyone knows St Kilda one flag. Yeah, they say that you know one flag, and we know and we would have loved it to be more. But St Kilda has got an interesting history. Mm-hmm. You know, it is an interesting history, and it's uh, I suppose it's resilience more than anything else that um, you know that comes through across right across the board through the history and. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, and you're right, you know, it'd be nice. I, I don't want everyone else to think we're the second, their second favourite team. You know, I'd rather they hate us because we're winning premiership after premiership. I'll, I'll tell you one last thing, and I hope I'm not taking up too much time, but um, when I was a kid and, and 1961 started going all the time, and I told someone this story again the other day that um, Hawthorne hadn't won a premiership at that stage 1960, before 1961. And St Kilda obviously hadn't won one either. And Hawthorne was, you know, looking like they were sort of coming good, though, you know. Anyway, St Kilda played them early in the year at uh, the junction. At the junction, all the toilets were, the public toilets were right behind the visitors' rooms. And I can remember, you know, one of the guys had done it at half time, Dad took me in there. I can remember, everyone was totally silent because. The rooms, the uh, the visitors' rooms, you could hear the coach, and it was John Kennedy, and they were behind, and he just roared at them, and everyone in the toilet was just totally silent, listening to the Hawthorne coach going off his brain. You know, okay, Hawthorne went on. We know they won the premiership that year, sixty-one, their first premiership. So what are they up to now? Twelve, I think. Thirteen, I think. Thirteen, yeah. I mean. You know, you think the fork in the road. I mean, uh, that was, uh, yeah. And 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 for the other clubs like the Essendon's and the Carlton's of the world and that, and say, oh, they're the power clubs and that. For me, during my lifetime of my football lifetime, Hawthorne is just that far clear as being the most successful team. You know, how many how many premierships are the others won in that time? What Carlton's won what four, I suppose. Essendon five. You know, no one's come near their twelve. No one. You know, so they're the power side, not these blowhards that sort of carry on about them being the power side, because they're not they're not the side that's been the dominant side in my lifetime. Spot hey, on. Mate. Yeah. Hope it's been interesting. So yeah, absolutely. But um, but yeah, hopefully in a, in fifty years' time, people say the same thing about us. But uh, Russell, thank you very much, and hopefully we'll see you at uh, at Marvel Stadium or the MCG soon. No worries. Good on you, boys. Thanks for that. The big thing, though, is it's not us, and hopefully this is not a trend. Um, you know, we've got the Bombers next week. We need to bounce back, and that's going to be important. But, um, you know, to everyone out there, thanks for coming tonight, and 
um, sorry about the result. It's um, disappointing, frustrating, and um, you know, I think everybody was frustrated, even the players on the bench, and that as well. In things that we've done so well for, you know, probably 12 months now, we just really let ourselves down. So, hopefully, you don't see that um, moving forward. We look ahead to the Bombers game this week. Uh, we get a player back and lose another. Uh, Russell sort of half alluded to that a little bit in the chat that we get Brad Crouch back from suspension, but we lose Jimmy Webster to the concussion protocols. It's a 12-day ruling, so um, lucky not to break his jaw. So that was one thing that, that's positive that came out of that. But um, he'll miss the Essendon game and then be available for the West Coast game, provided he passes the necessary tests that, that come with that. Um, we miss him a little bit because obviously Essendon have got Anthony McDonald, Chip and Woody forward and Jake Stringer will probably play. So um, those medium-ish forwards that, that he would have been an option for given that Patton and Geary are, are still out of the side. So that, that does hurt us a little bit, puts a bit of pressure on Caulfield and Long and, and likes of Highmore and these sorts of players to, to get those things right. Uh, the Bombers... Uh, missing a few players. Certainly their injury list would be similar to ours with um, Dylan Shield and Jai Caldwell and Sam Draper going down in that Port Adelaide game and out for a long period of time. They're still missing Michael Hurley, David Zaharakis, Patrick Ambrose and Dyson Heppel's got a fitness test on his back as well. So uh, he'd be, I think they're declaring him 50-50. So we'll probably find out at least 24 hours before. So Friday night uh, and then maybe even an hour before the game. So um we come up with a side that's got a very similar injury list to us and an area where they might have got us in the ruck that they'll lose Draper, which does help a little bit. So, um, look, we, we, by rights, we should play the ground quite well. We generally do. We didn't last week. Um, but hopefully that can be attributed somewhat to heavy legs or just a bad day. Uh, everybody is entitled to that and they can be forgiven, provided you respond. So, Given the difficulties of our fixture, that the consequences of losing to Essendon would be enormous. So we have to find a way to get through this game. It, it doesn't matter how. Um, the Bombers are under the pump a little bit. I read that they've never been 0-3 and three in their history. So hopefully that happens this week um, and we can inflict that on them. But, Nick, I guess your, your thoughts on it. We, we should, by right, be too good. But uh, the Bombers always give me the shits. They've, uh, they've had a habit of beating us at inopportune times in our history. So hopefully this isn't one of them. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you guys are probably the same, but I grew up losing to Essendon two times mm. a year and yeah, you normally buy 10 or ten or more goals every time. Yeah. So, you know, I, I love beating the Bombers. They might be my most hated team. Um, not sure. There's a few of them. Carlton, Collingwood, Adelaide, Geelong. There's a few. But, um, yeah, look, I mean, you're right. By, by rights, we should beat them and, and we should beat them when they're at full strength and we're at full strength. By rights, we are a better football team than they are. I think we play better football. I think we're better coached. But so much comes down to the attitude on the day. And, and you're right. The question is, how do we respond? And, and you'd have to think that, that the coaching staff and the playing group would have to be bitterly disappointed in terms of the performance they, they put up on, on Saturday night, um, especially in such a, an impact game and, and, you know, on a night that, that means so much to us as a footy club and, and an AFL community that, you know, they, they would be really disappointed with, with what they served up last week. And, and you would expect that they come out firing. I'm always concerned when we're favourites, no matter what the situation is, no matter how we're, how we're playing, how we're tracking and who we're playing. Um, I always worry when we're favourites, especially when we're 20-plus point favourites as well, you know, at, at the books. I think that we have this habit of kind of buying into our own hype sometimes and I'm not sure after last week how we can be that far 
favourited at, at this point. But you know, I think it, it goes to show the expectation that's on this on this football team this season. And you know, they've earned the right to be favourites based on the last twelve months. Um, they've got to make it count, and they've got to win this game. I do feel this probably should be a statement game. They need to come out and say, hey, we weren't good last week. Have a look what we can do. They, we're, I mean, yes, we've got our injuries, but we're coming up against a team who has their problems as well. They were very, they've been ordinary for six quarters this year so far. Um, they got absolute absolute flyer in the first game against Hawthorne, and we're thinking, okay, maybe Essendon are a little bit better than we thought, but then the real Essendon turned up, it seemed. So, um, yeah, the... Basically, we need to get out there, hit them early, and yeah, really make a statement and say this: this is what we're doing this year. This is this is how we're going to play. Don't do what you did last week and fall into the trap of what the other opposition wants us to do. So yeah, if we set set our our goals, make it what set, get the early momentum and make it and say yep, take control of the game and just really, really make a statement and said it, finish them off. Um, looking into one thing that we look, we have got to kind of motivate us along. Um, it is Jack Steele's 100th game. I don't know if anyone had seen that yet or not, but there's one little thing to try and go, okay, we, we missed a um, milestone game last week. We've got another chance this week. Let, let's make it a big one for someone. So, yeah, basically get out there. Hit them hard. Let let let's make a real statement this week. If there's if there's a time for anyone to make yeah. a, a real statement, you know, Paul Hunter this week has the opportunity. I don't know if he'll play again after this week. You know, if, if the rumors around Marshall and, and Ryder potentially being back are true, then there's a good chance that one, if not both of them, will be back in the next few weeks. So this could be Paul Hunter's last game of AFL football. And you'd think that, you know, without Draper uh, for the bombers, that this is a really good opportunity for for him to show what he can do at AFL level. You know, he's had two cracks at it and, and he's been beaten pretty comprehensively twice. Um, this is his third go, third time lucky. Um, and, and maybe this is the week that he kind of shows uh, what, what he can do. And, you know, our, our midfield, if, if he can win that battle, then, you know, I think our midfield should do the rest of the, the, the rest of the damage. And King could be one to do the same as well. If strangle a team and kick a bag and get that confidence up going, Hey, Kick it to me every week. I'll kick them. So if if he can finally, yeah. Well, Max King probably had his best game against Essendon last year, playing on Michael Hurley, who's not there. He kicked three at the Gabba and probably should have kicked six in that game. So hopefully he can capitalise. Looked pretty good early last week against Melbourne. Was was moving well. Took some nice marks and, and kicked a couple early. But we really need a lift out of our small forwards. Butler, Higgins, and Loney had no impact on the game against Melbourne whatsoever. Higgins kicked one very late, but. The game was over by that stage. They kicked five or six between them against the Giants. So we really need that sort of output out of them if we are to get a result. But, but fingers crossed it does happen. I guess a comment on the, uh, the AFLW season as, as well. It was pretty disappointing. It showed a bit of promise. It felt like a bit further away this year than we were 12 months ago. But that can happen with a, a young group. But a really good finish. So outstanding on Sunday in, in thumping West Coast by the best part of 10 goals. And... I know the Eagles are struggling a bit themselves, but uh, hopefully that really does give them something and we can get some separation on the bottom sides like Richmond, West Coast, Gold Coast, Geelong, and really push forward. So um, obviously a flat a flat season, but 
um, enough enough talent in there to to potentially work our way uh, work our way forward. Yeah, I think you know they've they've shown enough. It was obviously a little bit disappointing. I think there was some high expectations, and and maybe maybe we jumped the gun a little bit in terms of the expectations of of the team based on you know a couple of good games last year in, in the first year. But you know Georgia Patrikios has really stamped herself as as a premier player in the competition. She's pretty much been best on ground in every game, even the, you know the ones that we've lost as well. She's been very very good. Um, Tyana Smith looks another another gun at, at this level, and there's there's plenty of good players, and they've just got to put it all together for for four quarters consistently. And they, you know, they're, they're already hard to beat, but they're just not doing enough to win games at the moment. Obviously that, that last game against the, the Eagles was very impressive. And hopefully that, that kind of shows and gives them the confidence to, to go into next year full of, full of confidence. So fingers yeah. crossed. It was a yeah season bookended by two good wins. We're going first round against a seasoned team and had a good win against them and then finish off with a 10 goal victory over a, a team that basically should be on par with us. So if you, those two wins separately, actually, you look at the team and go, yeah, that's, that's, they're actually quite good for the side. So take the confidence out of those and learn from the other ones. It's, um, yeah, obviously there's a lot of a lot of changes happen in the competition at the moment in player-wise because it's still early days, but keep that core group together and yeah, go again and see how they go. Didn't get to play the Gold Coast and uh, probably disappointing loss at Moravan to GWS where were a couple of the, the takeaways didn't get to play Richmond either. So um, obviously a couple of those bottom sides that we could have maybe picked up as scalps, but that's probably about our level. The, our only other win was against Geelong, who were the worst team in it. So, um, but yeah, a bit to build on through that. That Bulldogs win showed a bit and obviously the, the style of football against West Coast is something that is sustainable. So we'll see what they do list-wise. Going forward, uh, still got some special guests in the pipeline that we're looking forward to over the other uh, next couple of weeks. And you can get in contact with us via Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and catch up on all of our uh, podcasts uh, of all of the greats uh, that we've had on over the journey. Some terrific names that you can work your way through as well. But hopefully we get to two on one this week, overcome a, a little banana peel and get ourselves back into the eight and, and move ahead to West Coast.